Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking you for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Pip Flower from Pip Flower Working Dogs. Hi everyone. People be picking him. Hey Pip, how you going? <laughs> yeah, hi Dan. People be picking <laughs> People be picking who she thinks has asked the best question of the night and a bag of enduro Find you food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. How you going, Pip? Just... Yeah, not bad. Pretty, um, yeah, pissed off it's raining so much at the moment, but isn't everyone? Yeah. Yeah, seems to be pretty yeah. pretty bad down south um, yeah. the last couple of days. Has been. Mm. Just before we kick off tonight there, Pip, I uh, just want to say a big cheerio to uh, Laura's mother there, Marie McKillop. A big happy birthday. As you can see, Laura's not here tonight so i'll hug the chin to me um <laughs> so um she's over there uh with a mum celebrating her birthday and she's up for for a little bit here to have a chat with us so happy birthday marie and uh, thanks for still jumping on laura that's all right mum's mum's the kickstarter behind dog talk so you better wish her a happy birthday absolutely <laughs> without mary mckillop there's no dog talk Everyone's going to start calling her Mary if you keep carrying on with that. That's okay. I, I can live with that. <laughs> I think most people think her name is Mary. But um, we'll jump into it, Pip. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from? And then, you know, you've got a bit of an interesting story. So we'll go with a few questions on this one. Yeah, sure. So um, you can probably tell I'm not a native. Um, I'm from England and I came over as a backpacker in 2011 um just basically on a holiday and i chose australia uh because you can drink under 21 and you drive on the same side of the road and you also speak the same language so those were the criteria and it's mostly hot and sunny but not at the moment but that's what's the criteria for choosing australia as my country to backpack around and um after six weeks of traveling up the east coast uh my friend and i didn't realize how expensive it was um particularly drinks <laughs> and <laughs> after six weeks I ran out of money so um, I joined like a job agency thing and um, got a job on a cattle station in far north Queensland and that was my first introduction to agriculture. Wow that's cool. yeah. well, how far how far uh, like Georgetown area Normanton. Yeah and was that a new to that or was something totally left you with yourself? Oh, uh, it was like Wolf Creek. I was very <laughs> like culture shock, thought I was going to die sort of thing. Um, it is just so remote and so different to anything you've ever seen at, for me at the time. I'd never been in the bush before, never experienced the remoteness and like the cowboy lifestyle, I suppose you could call it. Um, seems very normal to me now, but back then it didn't. I came from a city, um, Grew up in a pub, so very much around people all the time, and then went into the outback and um, different climate and everything. And it was, yeah, real shock to the system. Did, did you just say grew up in a pub? Yeah, yeah. So my um, no wonder you're money. Yeah, just <laughs> eating that Everything addiction. Was already yeah. in the blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my parents were property developers in Bath in the UK, and. Um, there was a recession in 2007, so mum diversified and bought a pub and um, we grew up in the pub and sort of worked there after school every night and 
you know, hung out with all the locals and yeah, it's a bit of a different upbringing, but it was all right. You, you would have been used to hanging around a bit of riffraff here and there and oh, big drinkers yeah. and, and lots of talk. Very used to putting up with, um, <laughs> yeah, people who carry on a bit too much, but uh, <laughs> you got you got very used to dealing with all sorts of people. It was a good life experience, like knowing how to communicate to all different people. It was a good social upbringing anyway. Absolutely. And do you think that helped you get a bit of a thick skin as well for, you know, uh, walking into Wolf Creek, so to speak? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, probably not. Like, I'm quite a um, uh, sensitive person, I suppose. <laughs> I'm not, like, really hard or anything. Um, but I, I, I think that experience of going into far north Queensland, everything was just happening all the time. You didn't really have time to think. Um, you know, mustering cattle, branding cattle, when you're just not fit for it and riding horses and it just, you sort of didn't have time to worry about anything or, or, or get upset or anything like that. So um, as they say, sort of it's better to be busy and it's the best way to learn probably straight into um, the fire out of the frying pan. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> and did <laughs> I was just going to say, did you have any experience um, at home or horseback riding or? Oh, not really. Um, as a kid, you sort of went to pony club, but you sort of sat on robotic horses. Um, and English style of riding, it really ruins you. If you learn how to how to ride European style when you with your knees up by your ears, it ruins like your type of riding like yeah. it, for the future. Like I'm still kind of wanting to hold on with your knees instead of your foot in your stirrups but no I didn't really have any experience with agriculture we had a lot of animals growing up so I was always around animals like cats and dogs and guinea pigs and all those kind of things so <laughs> I was used to animals and it's quite a rural place Bath where I grew up it's a city but it's still you're, you're surrounded by farmland and so you're sort of used to an outdoorsy kind of atmosphere yeah bloody guinea pigs and cattle is a bit, a big, uh, <laughs> bit of a shift in height there Particularly wild Brahmins. I mean, that's a, yeah, not a great introduction to cattle, but you learn quickly. <laughs> learn to stay out of the way. Speaking <laughs> of, what do you think your biggest learning curve was or one of your biggest takeaways? Oh, oh just to get on with things probably. Um, that It made me have a really good work ethic, I suppose, going up there um, and like paid nothing, so you never expected anything and you just got used to that kind of exposure of um, working really hard and like camping out, no luxuries. Um, and that was kind of a good grounding as, as your first introduction to the, your working life, I thought. Like you weren't spoiled whatsoever, quite quite the reverse. So it was um, really good, actually. And yeah, what about real uh, cool. school? Did you go to uni or anything over there? Yeah, so I went to uni a bit later on, so I ran out of visa options and went back to England in 2014 to do a degree. Um, and, and that had to be in agriculture, so you could be sponsored to come back and work in agriculture to get your residency. So I went back um, to the UK to do a livestock um, degree, and I did it in two years because the education system over there is the first year of uni doesn't count to your final grade. So I just wanted to skip that and um, get back here as soon as possible. So I did two years there. And then just to make sure that I really wanted to come back, I did another year working over there. And then I came back in 2017, um, did two years 
on a sheep and cattle station in um, Western Queensland and managed for those good hearted sponsors to be sponsored and get my permanent residency. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, beauty. How, like, you, you mentioned going back to, to England now for your ag degree. How different were the practices you were in your textbooks there compared to what you were doing back over here? Oh, it wasn't relevant at all, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds awful, but it really – so the, the university I went to was more of a finishing school for the aristocracy. It was called the Royal Agriculture University, and I think it's a bit better now. But um, when I went, it was very much somewhere to send your, you know, the TOF sent their rich kids just to, you know, go have fun for three years. So it wasn't a lot of um, uh, intense education, shall I say. Like a lot of people just went – hunting and playing polo and just journeying about really um and the type of agriculture in england it's very arable focused and dairy um so it wasn't really i wasn't really all that interested to be honest but i just got through it and chose the subjects that were a bit more fun like emerging technologies and a bit more sciencey things and then sort of got out of there yeah as soon as i could yeah and um so when did Working Dogs come into the situation for you? Well, um, I always wanted to own my own dog. We didn't have any sheep dogs growing up. We had Dobermans and various other dogs. Um, and I always wanted to have my own dog. I had my own cats as a kid, but I always wanted my own dog. And then there was an opportunity arose when I was out contracting near Longreach. Um, a border collie puppies were for sale and I just I just love border collies because they're just so smart and what you know England is obsessed with crafts and what you can see the dogs do on the telly and I always wanted one and it wasn't particularly to muster or, or work sheep with or anything like that it was just their intelligence and the way they looked um so I went and bought one off of another dog trailer as it turned out at Longridge. You touched on crafts there for people over here that don't know what crafts is, you want to explain that? Oh, I don't know it that well, but it's just a various, uh, it's televised, televised competitions of, um, I mean, they have a bit of sport dog involved, but a lot of it is just um, choosing the best in show of each um, pedigree, isn't it? Something like that, um, of all the dogs. Yeah, a bit of ability and uh, obedience and a bit of different. Yeah, a bit of, yeah. Dog sports, yeah. Stuff, yeah. But it's pretty big. Like, I never realised exactly how big it is it's massive oh yeah it's which it should be because they are picking the best example of the breeds across the world if you know what i mean like what the best bulldog is or you know so it's yeah it's um yeah it's pretty big in the canine world absolutely and before we get too much fun dogs what are you doing now where, where are you like you're down south now yeah so um i've recently taken a job i started in june um, down here at the snowy mountain region of New South Wales. So I'm about 30 minutes south of Cooma um, on a property out here, um, just managing the livestock side of it. I mean, it's all sheep, which is perfect. Um, I don't mind cattle, but I just prefer working sheep. Um, so it's all sheep and it's it's mostly crossbreds. They're, they're slowly going through a transition of all moving to crossbreds. So, um, and that's just perfect for me. That's the type of sheep I like. I enjoy working and um and farming, yeah. And where else have you worked? Oh my goodness, um, <laughs> a lot of places. Um, <laughs> I spent 
so after that far north Queensland experience, I ended up in Western Queensland out at Winton. And that was on a sheep and cattle station, merino sheep and um, composite cattle, I suppose you'd call them, drought master. Um, and yeah, I was there for nearly three years and managed to get my permanent residency there whilst I was there, which was great. And that was my first introduction of working livestock with dogs. Got a very good grounding there um, in that type of country. And then um, the last two years prior to the last one, I moved to Tasmania and worked on properties down there. Um, worked on two properties. One was a vast merino and cattle place. It was a hill country place. And then the next one was a lot more intensive um, fat lambing operation. They had some cows too, but it was very much um, trade lambs there. Yeah. Wow, you've worked in a lot of different environments. Yeah, I'm just one of those people that want to find, like try and experience as many things as possible and find and pick and choose from each experience and try and put it together in one um, uh, dream, I suppose, and try and achieve that. Yeah, very cool. Any um, any aspirations to to keep moving your way around the country? Oh, uh, I don't think so. Um, I just see how this job goes. I'm really enjoying it at the moment. So we'll just see. I haven't got any plans per se. No. So I was just going to ask. Um, you had like, oh, where was that going? Um. With your dogs, you've really only had them since you've come back from England. No, no. So I got I got my first border collie in 2011 when I when I first came over here, and then yeah. I slowly got a few more. Um, and when I moved back to England, I think I had three or four, um, which was really sad to leave them. But I actually took one with me <laughs> to England, um, and he became a bit of the university mascot took him into <laughs> lectures um <laughs> and i actually brought him back with me after three years so he's still alive and kicking and he's in here somewhere um because the storm outside mm -hmm. so he's allowed in when it's storming because he freaks out yeah <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about him uh i bred him he's the first litter i ever bred and his name is pork um because <laughs> yeah. uh, he was a porky puppy and I kept him um, and he turned out to be a dud, actually. So I knew his fate if I left him here. <laughs> so I took him <laughs> back with me. Yeah. First dud I've ever had. Mm. <laughs> and do you have a style, a type of dog that you prefer? Yeah, I think that's changed over the years as you sort of develop your own working style. Um, at the moment, I really like the oh well the dream dog I'm trying to get it I haven't quite got it yet and I don't know if it exists but one that's very strong has a very um, powerful presence on its stock but is also very very obedient and biddable and trainable um, and on the flip side I know it sounds a bit corny but dogs have to look good as well the confirmation's got to be good they've got to be attractive and I know it sounds silly because a lot of people will be watching this and be like, I don't care what it looks like as long as it does a good thing. But you've got to um, you've got to really like that dog. I think that's really important when people say, oh, you know, how do you, what, how do you 
keep a dog in your team and it's like well I've got to like them and part of that likability is the way it looks I'm afraid yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah are, are your dogs a cat then yeah <laughs> well yeah I probably keep them if they're really really good but I mean confirmation is a, is a big thing like they've, they've got to be sound because you get problems later on um, if the hocks aren't right and, you know, tabletop backs and stuff like that, they've, you know, they've got to be able to run properly. Um, but yeah, uh, and also, you know, white, white around the eyes and stuff like that. I don't really like that. Um, so yeah, I try to, try to keep them <laughs> looking fairly attractive. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what about your current team at the moment? Yeah, I've got plenty actually. Um, <laughs> probably too many. <laughs> Um, funnily enough, the last, um, I thought there were too many, but the last um, couple of weeks, because now we're moving into summer and we've, you know, it's fly season, been landmarking, jetting, um, crutching. Uh, so the dogs are really, I try to keep things fresh because I don't really like a dog that's um, sort of buggered and half-assed. Um, so I like when I use dogs that, well, I try to, that they're full force when you use them. So I sort of try and change the dogs, you know, every three or four hours, I might, you know, half day to half day, try and change the team if I can, um, just to keep it fresh. So I've actually managed to use all the dogs that are of working age um, in the last couple of weeks and tired them out, which is good. <laughs> good. A few of your main dogs there, who would they be? Yeah, so um, I've got four Hunterways at the moment. Um, two of them are I suppose you call them pups, so two main ones and then two pups coming along. And then I've got the rest are made up of Border Collies. I don't have any Kelpies or Smithfields or whatever else you want to um, other breeds. Uh, but Collies, um, a lot of people know about Coast, um, my big Kiwi heading dog. Um, but he broke his leg about three weeks ago. So he's, when I need him most, is not available. So I've been using um, Hurricane, actually, my other um, Border Collie male, and um, he's been doing everything because I put my bitch in pup about four weeks ago and she's just started not to do as much now. So it was a bit of bad timing that Coach broke his leg. Yeah. Um, so I've had to really rely on the Hunaways. But every time something happens to one of your main dogs, it allows room for the next one to learn. So it's it's kind of good, I suppose. Yeah, yeah just one time a year, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But um, hopefully it'll be back and running in January, full yeah. force. And what made you go the Hunaway line? Oh, just yeah, <laughs> dealing with stock that don't move. Um. Yeah, I just, I get very, oh, my patience is getting better as I get older, but I don't have a lot of patience when stock don't move off your dogs. Um, yeah, so I, I got into Hunterways in Tasmania with the fat lambs um, and you and you crossbreds that are really hard to move, particularly when they have lambs at foot. So um, I just found them to be brilliant working animals to shift stock, but do it in a controlled and kind way, you know, like not swinging off them, you know, <laughs> uh, by yeah. using their bark. Yeah. And um, a lot of that work in Tasmania was by myself. So when you you need to draft 800 ewes and lambs by yourself, crossbreds, you sort of need that that punch. Yeah. How do you, obviously, for anyone who doesn't know, the country, Ned's pretty hilly and, and uh, 
picturesque, I suppose, and or if someone hasn't seen your videos, how do you go about teaming up your dogs when you're working? Like, will you work when you work your hunters, or you just work your hunterways, or when you work your collies? Just your yeah. Or... I'm trying to get to the stage that hunterways do most of it, and I'm slowly getting there with one. Um, but he's he's not yet two, so he's still got a bit to learn. But I'm trying to save the collies a bit because I do the three sheep dog trialing, and it's very hard to smash stock round Monday to Friday and then have that precision on the trial ground on the weekend. So I'm just trying to get the hunter ways to do more, but you're always going to need a heading dog. Don't get me wrong. You know, if you've got like two lambs, you've got to get back through the fence. You're always going to need that precision work there. But um, I'm trying to do it all with hunter ways, but I have been doing two heading dogs and a hunter way normally is my, is my go-to, but I'm slowly transitioning to two hunter ways and one heading dog. Um, and who I choose depends Depends on the job a lot of the time, but also I've got dogs on different whistles. So I don't generally work two collies that are on the same whistles because there's just no point two dogs going the same way every time. So um, I, I try to choose two collies that have different whistles so you can send them wherever or work one at a time and the rest the other one sort of thing. Yeah. Um, question here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> There's a question here um, back on your Hunaways from Nikki West, and it's what do you look for in a Hunaway pup? Oh, I haven't been breeding them all that long, but in the last two years of really getting into them, I've, I've been into them for a bit longer, but the last two years of breeding and looking at pups are, uh, again, looks is quite important. Um, there's a lot of Hunaways out there for sale that don't look like Hunaways, and it questions whether they're actually full Hunaways or not. So I can't, I kind of know instantly when I look at one, I'm like, that's a Hunaway, and then you're off to a good start. <laughs> um, but generally, I like a big bone, bold pup, um, good markings, or good coloring, and they've got to be so uh, placid as pups, you know, big, um, calm fellas um, that, yeah. Like if they're crazy as puppies, you, it's not really the hunterway type. I'm not really like that. So, yeah, they got to be bold. Um, my hunterways are quite soft for the breed type, um, but that's on purpose because I don't really like yelling and screaming and having to be really tough on dogs all the time. So I, I've 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 focused on quite a soft type. Um, so for a lot of people, those type of pups would probably be a bit soft for them, um, but. That's what I go for personally is a softer type pup, but they still, you know, they can't run away from you when you try and catch them or anything. Like, can't be that scared. But, I, yeah, they are generally a bit softer than most. And you're liking that um, softer, obedient border collie as well, or do you like different things in uh, the two breeds? Yeah, it's just very hard to get the type of collie that I want, which is a really, you know, powerful collie, but then – temperament is soft those things don't really go together yes so for example coast is a really strong dog on stock um and he's been a real challenge to <laughs> train um but you kind of have to go about it a different way i suppose you've got to be a bit smarter about how you train them um you know if they're hard you don't go harder at them you've got to you've got to think of a way the dog understands and will respond to and I'm still learning that through lots of different dogs I've got quite a few different personalities in the camp now and different bloodlines and I'm learning slowly how to handle each one um mm -hmm. 
but they're still ones that I like, but um, they are very different. And I think the biggest thing people have got to have is patience. Like trying to make a dog too soon is, is just the worst thing you can do. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned bloodlines there. Is there a particular bloodline that you find you get on with well and you're trying to incorporate um, a lot into your stuff? Yeah, well, oh, it's a bit... I don't really focus on any particular bloodline because I just breed what I've already got. I like breeding out of dogs that I've already got, um, both parents too. Um, I haven't done a lot of breeding, to be honest, so it's basically what I've already got in the team because I know what both parents do and what you can expect from them and how they act as pups, uh, how the pups act from the parents because you've brought the parents up, if you know what I mean. So you, you know from the get-go what, what, how to go about that training. Um, it's a bit of a shortcut. Um, but eventually I'll have to go a bit more outside of what I'm doing. But, you know, I've got um, Coast, who's a Kiwi, so he's a right outcross. And then the others are, are a bit of pommy stuff in there. Just a little splash, I don't like too much. And then there's uh, your Grass Valley stuff and and then your traditional princey stuff, which is, tends to be in most um, three sheepy type dogs. Um, yeah, that's about it really. And um, then just little, yeah, and various other little dogs in there too, but that's the main lines. Yeah. And while we just get too far away from where you work, well, obviously down there, um, people don't know, there's a lot of wild country out there. You find that um, has an impact on your stock and your dogs? Wild what? Sorry, I just missed that. Wild dogs. Oh, oh. We used to have a few wild dogs about. No, this this area doesn't really. Um, okay, it's cool. Yeah, which is good. But, yeah, that definitely affects. Yeah, yeah when you're right. in an area like that, it definitely affects the stock for sure. They don't work off dogs very well at all. Um, it's either fight or flight because that's the only experience they've had, you yeah. know, um, <laughs> which makes things challenging. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, so you're very passionate about your Hanaways, what? How do you go about training them? Um, do you have a particular way you go about it, or yeah? Uh, yeah, you've got to be very careful with Hanaways um, because, say, if you mess up when you're training your collies or your kelpies, you know, you've 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 put something into them which is a bit rubbish. You you can generally can fix that, or you you push them too hard, too young. You can sort of you know, lay off them for a bit and rectify things or get help from someone or whatever, like whatever stuff ups you can do, if they're not horrendous and repeated constantly, you can fix them, I believe. Um, but with Hunaways, I've, I've found that if you damage them as young dogs, they remember it. And um, you've got to be there. You've got to work so hard to undo what you've done um, because it's a bit hard to explain but for an animal to use its voice, it's got to be comfortable all the time. Like it's got to punch out that noise. Like that's how they work. If, it, if they're silent, no point having them because they, they don't, they're not precise enough. They don't have the feel to keep everything together. Like they want to keep things together, but they don't, you know, they, they need to use their bark to do that really. And if you curtail that bark and they're not confident to use it and it's a hot day and everyone's buggered and you're trying to get them to speak, it's not going to happen and you won't be able to get your job done. So if you damage their confidence as a young dog, they don't bark properly when they're older and pff, there's no point having them really. 
So how do you go about um, making them comfortable and getting that bark? Yeah, you Is just because I know some people will use a rope or um, yeah. I think it's it's very painful for the handler, um, but you've got to <laughs> let them be animals, really within reason. Like you're not gonna rip you know sheep apart. Like they're clean dogs anyway, but you're not gonna smash sheep around. Um, inhumanely but you've got to let them work and work and work and as puppies you know it's all a bit chaotic and everything's going seems to be going wrong but you've got to instill that confidence that they're allowed to you know keep barking and smashing sheep you know you can't try and screw them as a young dog you've got to you've got to let them be a dog <laughs> for 18 months yeah. you know you can't you can't screw them too much a lot of people want dogs to stop and stay and go left and right at eight months old, but you just can't do that with Hunterways. Yeah. And how has dealing with Hunterways changed you as a handler? Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. It's really changed me. Um, as way, the way I handle stock, it's really made a big difference. Um, that's a very deep question. I would say I use the noise more than movement from the collies. Um, you can use noise. If you've got sheep stuck on a creek somewhere, instead of sending your dog, you just, you can get your dog to bark and you can see how the sheep react and then you know how much more bark to use or less bark to use. And it's just a different way of working stock when you've got noise involved. It's a hard one to describe, but you sort of, I'd rather work weak stock with Hunterways because of the noise. You know, as soon as you get too close to weak stock, they're going to fall over and play dog. You know, they're just, they're just, they're done whereas the noise you can keep on like as a distance the noise and you can get those sheep in or hard stock you know you can you can really give it someone teach them a lesson um but like it's just completely changed me um how i work stock um i just yeah i i wouldn't go out and do a job without one now yeah. um i think that's yeah and have you tried to put more bark into your collies as a result of having barking no, collies? I just don't, I don't like barking collies <laughs> or barking kelpies, no offence. <laughs> I just don't like it. Um, uh, because how do I describe it? Like, Hunterways are um, bred to throw their bark, so they're like directing sheep with their noise, whereas kelpies or collies, if they're barking ones, um, they're just yapping at the back, you know, yap, yap, and they're just like, the sheep in front of them, that's what they're targeting, right, in front of them not throwing their bark at the lead or the side to you know turn the wing in so yeah it's completely different i don't really like that yap because if you had to listen to that all day it's not very pleasant i was, I was gonna ask earmuffs work yeah a lot of people say that it's quite funny though because where i've worked um with the hunterways like everyone hates it like when agents come or something they hate that noise that ooh, ooh, all day you know and it's constant. Like, like I said, if they're not barking, there's no point in them being there. Like, even if the sheep are, if say, if you're weighing sheep and all your sheep are piled up and they're, and they're um, you know, piled up in the race and, and keep on feeding through and you think, oh, you don't need to bark because they're still piled up. As soon as you let off that bark, these sheep start getting looser and you don't want that with crossbreds, you know, they'll turn around on you. So it's, you've got that constant bark. And a lot of people hate it when they first hear it. But once they understand the effectiveness of it and what it's doing, they learn to love it so much. And I love, I just love the noise. Yeah, I love it. Um, 
Not when you put your head down to move a sheep and the bark goes right in the <laughs> but <laughs> but otherwise it's um it's it's quite a, yeah it's it's a nice noise. Do you find if you're doing a heap of yard work, the bark and with a bit of bark, bark becomes ineffective at all? Or because yeah, you've got, you've so got many to use it. Volume? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you can't, like I just said, you, you've got to have it constant, but you've also got to be a bit smart with it. Like you have it constant when you're weighing sheep, but they do, the sheep can get used to it. So you, you sort of you have to shut them down sometimes to sort of to then shock the sheep, you know, when they start up again. Yeah. Um, because yeah, if you did use it all the time, you've got to kind of use more force and more force and more force. Um, yeah, but the, the only scenario that you'd keep it on is probably yeah, going for a handler or something or scanning yeah. something like that. Yeah. And how do you go about actually like starting those pups? Oh, it's pain. Yeah, it's oh, it's annoying. <laughs> okay. um, it's so because <laughs> it's just. Yeah, it's it. I wouldn't suggest it on light merinos in the yards, something like that. <laughs> Anything that could break its neck easily. <laughs> um, you, yeah, big fat crossbreds is it, pretty hard to um, to uh, kill one of them in the yards. <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you, I normally, well, I always have a Hunaway pup working with another fully grown Hunaway. It encourages them to bark, and they know what to do a bit more. You know, they sort of follow them around a bit, and it gives them confidence. Cause it's quite scary when sheep are smashing around everywhere for a young pup. Um, Particularly these big, you know, if they're big crossbreds and they get hit by one, it's they got to come back pretty quickly. So having another dog there gives them a lot of confidence. Um, but yeah, it's pretty chaotic. But you you choose it, you choose what you're doing. You know, you you're not going to have a young dog on using lambs because lambs just don't respond to dogs properly, and it's just too hard for them to understand the difference at that age. So yeah, you might be scan like scanning is brilliant or weighing big fat lambs you know something like that when not a lot can go wrong and they're all they're doing is just sitting behind and barking like you've got you got to be a bit smart about it don't throw them in a situation that they're not going to understand yeah and yeah. you do much uh, dry work with them yeah i haven't recently but i normally do <laughs> um yeah that's um depending on depending on the type of Hunaway. If you've got a handy type one, one that's a bit more natural, you probably don't need to do as much dry work. But if you've got one that isn't and it's a dry, big stand-up type of dog that drives its stock and you're going to, you know, direct it over the hills, um, you need, yeah, I, dry work is very important for that, absolutely, um, to teach it to stand up and look away. Like if a Hunaway stood there barking at you, there's not much point to that. So, yeah, you've got to teach them the stand-up command, which is them looking away from you. And in fact, in New Zealand, in their dog trials over there, the Hunaway dog trials, you know, the straight hunts and the zigzag hunts, if the dog looks behind them whilst they're on the hill to look back at the handler, they lose a point for that. So they're not allowed to look back behind you. And that's a, that's a lot of dry work involved with that since very early on as puppies. Like, you know, four-month-old pups, you're, gonna, you're teaching them that that's what you want, them to look away from you. How do you... No, dropping them in a round yard or sheep and... Oh, well, you can do. It just depends. Like it, de it depends on the type. Um, the 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 young dog I'm using a lot at the moment, Wave. He's he didn't take it to dry work. He didn't like that at all. Um, I probably could have persisted a bit more, but he didn't. He just didn't like the pressure of that. Um, it didn't suit him as an animal. But so he did a lot of round yard work. But he was more natural because his natural heading ability in him, and he's he wants to go round stock. Um, you know, like a collie, actually, you could you, you yeah. sort of taught him yeah. a bit like a collie, yeah. And 
So do you use the same dry work on your collies as your Hanaways? Not the same, because um, Hanaways is all about looking away from you. And with collies, because I do the dog trialing, that would be a cross, if you know what I mean, if they're stood in front of you. So um, the collies, I like to put on a rope to teach commands. Yeah, depending on the collie again, like it's it's all, you've got to be able to read your, your dog a bit. Um, Yes, you know, if they don't like it straight away, it doesn't mean that they're not going to suit it. You have to persist, but you can read it a little bit with with collies, whether they're going to take to dry rope training or if it benefits benefits them. Sometimes you just don't need to do it. So it just depends. Yeah. And um, a question's just come through from Rachel Holmes. She's asked, have you used the Hunaways on cows and calves at all? Um... Very sparingly, the Tassie farm, the intensive place I worked, they had um, a couple hundred um, black and red Angus, actually. Um, and there were a few scrubby uh, paddocks, and that's probably the only time I'd use them. Once the cattle were used to the noise and knew that meant that they were being moved or they, you know, there's a sort of a threat coming move, that's when I'd use them because cows and calves in scrub is just not enjoyable trying to get them out you just physically can't get to them so that's when i'd use hunterways but at a distance a fair bit like i don't because angus with calves are pretty um yeah but once you've trained it's all about training um cattle to the, the bark the noise um you've got to do that from a sort of a young age and once they're used to it it's actually really easy to muster cattle in an intensive environment i don't I don't know. I have experience in a, in a more extensive one. But, um, yeah, it's very easy to get them in because they just hear that noise and sort of know what it means and knows that they've got to come in. Obviously, you have yeah. your rogues and you need to need to actually put dogs on them a bit. But, um, yeah, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant tool. Lovely. Um, with, your, with your heading dogs, oh, wait, have we got another question there, Laura? No, no, it's all good. No. Cool. With your heading dogs there, what do you think makes a um, sheepdog compared to a cattle dog? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Pete's got one that did all right at uh, cattle <laughs> one time on the three sheep paddock section and the yard. So <laughs> um, I think that says a lot. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, with cattle, it's a hard one because... Cattle, you, you're going to have to need a dog that, you know, when it's confronted, it's got to be able to snap back um, and a proper bite, not a bloody swing at them sort of weak bite. It's got to be a whoomp on the nose. Um, and that's quite hard to then have, well, it's not hard, but it's it's uncommon that that dog would also be a very good sheep dog on light sheep, for example. Um so it's hard to get that transition unless you've got them really under control, I find. Um, like you were talking about Coast there. Um, Coast is very good on cattle and he will bite them um, when he needs to. He's not a real Russian and swing type of dog, but he tries to control them. And then if they come at him, he'll bite one. But then on light merinos, he's probably a little bit too much. They just feel that presence. And if they're weak or foot sore or whatever, they sort of feel his presence. And he's not necessarily doing anything wrong, but they'll go, they'll drop. So then when I work Merinos, I use a more, you sort of like type carrying type of dog on them who then they don't, they're not very good on cattle. So yeah, it's hard to get the best of both worlds really. That's why I have different dogs. Yeah. 
And and so we've mentioned before, we you talked then about some weak sheep, and we mentioned fly season earlier. Um, <laughs> and well, let's be honest, like the, the sheep, it's great. Uh, been great weather for sheep right the last six months. It's been pretty tough on them. Um, how have you found the feel in your dog in adjusting to, to you know, um, those those poor sheep? Um, you got to have a very good stop on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you send your dog, you don't want them to, to crunch them, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and a lot that's of dogs, like, if you've got a really good dog, they actually, I reckon they sense if, if sheep are weak or don't want too much pressure. You know, they'll feel it as they're getting close to the sheep and they won't give them a woomfer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky that I've got certain dogs in my team that don't have a lot of presence, I would say. Um, and those are the ones I think, but enough presence to move like Marino's, yeah. Um, so I'm very lucky. Those dogs are going off out there. There you go, they know they're talking about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was mine at first, so. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> how embarrassing. No stress. That's all right. Do you, do you need to have like three different whistles to make it be quiet? <laughs> no, it's just a good old fashioned, you know, <laughs> I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's all right. That's cool. How about how much, um, Hunterways there and you're heading dogs? How much casting do you do? Um, yeah, I suppose if you've got a cunning you and a couple of lambs and they're way off, you know, in the in the distance, you'd send send your your collies towards it and not your hunaways. Um, so I yeah, I do. I probably do a fair bit of casting in this type of country um, because it's so rocky. As anyone knows who's been in the Monaro, it is so rocky, and I hate smashing around on rocks. So I am a bit guilty of being a bit lazy and sending the dog. Um, Fair distances because I just hate smashing over rocks. Yeah. So, Carter's obviously. I bet your boss. I was going to say, I bet your boss appreciates that. Yeah, it's a bit kinder on the gear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, Laura. That's all right. I lost what I was going to say anyway, so it's all good. Um. <laughs> You obviously are training for trialing as well as work. Mm. How do you go about differentiating the two and or do you at all? And then how do your dogs transition from work to trial? Yeah, so I don't I don't have any um, specific farm dogs other than the hunterways, obviously. But I don't have any collies that are just farm collies. Um They've got to be able to do both to stay in the team. Um, yeah. But I'm slowly transitioning, actually. Yeah, like, that's a lie. Like, I've got one that I'm training at the moment, a collie, and I'll probably just keep him as trialling. But I'm in that I'm in that space now that I, I can't do that. But um, normally, yeah, they've got to be able to do both um, because I hate, particularly in the off-season, when your dog, if you've got, just got trial dogs and they're locked up for three, four months, you know, and all you're doing is training them. I hate that. They, I, I want to give them more of a life. So that's why they work on farm as well. But the transition can be quite tough, but like, it's not good. If you want to be a real competitive dog trialer, 
you you really need that refinement nowadays that real precision stuff um it's just just how it is the game is in you know uplifted in the last few years so you know you need in my opinion um you've got to be able to work all kinds of sheep to be you know the, at the top and to do that i think you need a lot of control on your dog you've got to be able to one step that way, one step that way, one step in, one step out. And from going from smashing ewes and lambs around the day before to going and doing that is it's very difficult. <laughs> and I don't yeah. think it's quite doable. You can, to a certain degree, have a lot of control on your dogs, and I do um, try for that. But um, you just – I'm never going to be an A-grade dog trialer if I work them on farm, if I'm honest. Um, but – that's what I enjoy more doing. So it's not a big issue for me at the moment. Yeah. Well answered. Pretty fair comment, so. Yeah. <laughs> and while we're talking about that precision control and, and whatnot, how do you teach each dog a different whistle? <laughs> how do you remember, how do you remember which them? Tone to blow? I don't have very many. That's the, like, I, I only have three sets of whistles. Um, I've, that's li like that is I the limit of my, remember my one set of whistles. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't have a one set because I can't decide. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's a lot of practice, you know. Um, you've got to spend a lot of time by yourself, not annoy anyone practicing your whistles. Um, but yeah, like I've, I've reached the limit of my imagination of how many, like I can't really think of that many more sounds. I'd love to have another set of whistles because I've got the Hunaways on one set. And then two lots for the collies, and I'd love to have another set for Hunaways, so you could work two Hunaways at once. But I'm kind of at the limit now; I can't think of anything else. Whatever noise, and I think you're a little bit restricted. I use a Logan whistle, one hole one. Um, I think it's aluminium, wherever it is, and um, it's a, they're quite shrill. Um, and I don't think like you can get a, a variety of noises out of it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the same as using your mouth, and I can't use my mouth. So um, that limits me the, the different whistles I probably could come up with. Yeah. I'll have to try the turbo. Yeah. Yep. I will. Is that the double holder? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I know that. I have got one of them and I've tried it because it's louder um, and that's why I got one. But I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't like it. It was, it was, it was um, yeah, I didn't like the noise it made, which is strange. Yep. So I stuck with mine. <laughs> So I've got, oh, I got the brass, like the bed it. tone. Okay. Yeah, I haven't tried a brass yeah. one. Yeah, the, the taste doesn't really bother me. You get used to it or you don't taste after a while, but I, yeah, it's more of a deader tone rather than tingy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Cool. I had to get um, a jade whistle one day. It's very um, New Zealand-ish. Um, a lot of Kiwi shepherds have jade whistles, and I'd love to know the noise that makes and why they have them. Hmm. So are you throwing like, so if you had like a clockwise whistle, are you throwing a different, a similar whistle but a different tone and pitch of that or a totally different whistle? Uh, for the other way, to send them back the other way. Uh, for like your three sets of whistles, like for like your two for your colleagues, one for your way. If you yep. were a clockwise, or let's call it a left, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, yep. Is it a totally different whistle for each dog yeah yeah and that's why i find it hard to think of anything else it's not it's <laughs> yeah. not a slight variation it's a completely different 
cadence and everything like it's it's completely different um which i feel like you sort of need to have because if you've got three dogs on your on your bike or your buggy and they each have their different set whistle set they can't sound similar because they're so desperate to work all the time that yeah. any opportunity to jump off that buggy when it's not their yeah. whistles they'll they'll take it so i feel like they have to be very um dissimilar yeah have you yeah definitely have you got a little lazier and easy set of whistles and that dog just gets worked and smoked as an eagle? Yeah, not really, no. <laughs> I mean, some of the sounds do cross over, like um, the stop dead sound. Like I've got a quick stop and then a stop dead sound and it means stay there and you're not allowed to move again. Um, that, you know, like I ran out of imagination and that one of those noises is the same as another dog's go left command. So, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful <laughs> what dogs you take. <laughs> do you have voice have commands you... as well as your whistle commands? I do on the collies, not on the hunterways, um, yeah. other than go back, which is, you know, very imaginative. But, um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do on the collies. I've got different, yeah, word for them um but i really don't like using words i try to avoid it like the only time i use word commands on the collies is what i'm at an obstacle and a three sheep course yeah oh i can't find my whistle in time and you just yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, stop dead whistle how do you go about training uh patience <laughs> like you 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 know, yeah. you've got your stop, which is just a like a stop whistle, and then yeah. it's like a is a is a is you're gonna stay there, and that's they're just not allowed to move. And I think a lot of people ask me, or sorry, that sounds a bit pretentious. Um, I have come across people asking me, um, how do you get such a good stop on your dogs, and um, and then you show them or suggest it, and you watch them work their dogs, but they're not pedantic about it enough. So like, you stop your dog stop 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 and they move they move they might move only an inch but they're, they're not stopped you know so like i i make them stop like they, they've got to stop and stay there and they've got to learn that that stop and if you just if you just sort of like oh but they sort of stopped and that's good enough it's that's you're not going to go anywhere with that yeah yeah it's kind of close enough good enough and it's almost right Maybe yeah, we'll just say slow oh and it's yeah yeah is there much difference in that whistle? Are they completely different? Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's completely, completely different. Yeah, because yeah. it's got to, it's got to like, it's almost got to shock them. Like, you know, yeah. oh, you know, I really have to stop here, you know? So you have like a, so the, the, the quick stop is say if they're going around on their arc, a quick stop is means there and work the sheep from there. They yeah. still stop, but like, yeah. it's not a stop and stay. It's a stop and work there sort of stop. Um, it's a quick stop. Stop and yeah. just let the sheep move. Um, yeah. But a stop and stay means, you know, you've got to stay there. I don't know how long they'll stay there for. Depends Depends if they're playing up or not. But, like, they've got yeah. to stay there and not move again. Yeah. 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 We, we've That's touched good. on um, on your Hunterways a lot there tonight. Um, and, obviously, there's a lot of auctions getting around now. And I'm yet to see a Hunterway in an auction. <laughs> I know. I think... The problem there is, you know, if people import Hunterways from New Zealand, which is, you know, the only way they can get in really, um, and then they breed them, they're not necessarily breeding the easy type ones that any cocky can work. And the easy type ones are like 
they work like a kelpie but you've also you still got to understand the animal and a lot of people don't understand them because they're relatively new so a lot of people they're annoyed because they're just constant noise you know and and, and not enough cover and irritating so i find a lot of people wouldn't understand how to train them to get them better either so like yeah you're only really going to see crosses in auctions i think because if you if you try and auction a fully trained hunt away like how many people know how to work them or understand what noise does to stock it's a bit it's a bit tricky really it, that's exactly Thanks, where I, I was going at that right you kind of have to sell a dog hand over from the instruction manual so to speak. yeah but it's more it's like you could tell people but they kind of have to experience it you know it's it's a long apprenticeship of experiencing it and and being in different scenarios and working out what goes wrong and right and yeah it's a hard one if they're just doing yard work like pushing up to a dip or something then yeah, yeah. you know you could sell one for a lot of money because they have a yep. big engine on them and they they can dip a lot of sheep in a day but um if you want to use them in the paddock like ooh, that's yeah it's very tricky even i struggle with them <laughs> so <laughs> does the type of stock differ from you starting a kelpie or a hunter or you use whatever at your fingertips oh uh, yeah so if you want to train hunterways you've got to do it on the job um in the yards with a lot of sheep or you or your trainer sheep have got to be uh pretty well dogged you know or you like the hard thing about it, like the best way to teach a hunterway is have a collie out in front of the sheep and that's obviously very hard to <laughs> to have a collie that you know has all that noise and shit's going on that that collie is actually still listening to its whistles and holding those sheep for the hunterway to bark at um or yeah. you just have very dog sheep in a round yard but the thing is what I found, um, if you use hunterways on your trainer sheep, it buggers them up for the collies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not I in basic terms that they get really heavy, but they just, as soon as they see an opening, they'll go. Um, so it's, yeah. If they know the bark's not there and going to hold them, they, yeah, they'll go for young dogs. Yeah. Um, so you've bred a few pups. What do you? Yeah, probably once a year. I'd probably have a little. Yeah. yeah. And, and what are you looking at before doing those joinings? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't. I don't go outside really. I mean, this year I've got a couple of dogs in that I don't know the parents. Um, but that's a first, and I'm just experimenting because I think I can get better three sheep dogs. But um. I normally breed with, from within, so temperament's a very big thing. Like I, I, I only keep I don't keep any crazies in the camp. Um, yeah. Like naturally crazy, not necessarily queer, but they're just like anything that's hyper. Like a very good example is you know when you're letting your dogs off out of the runs, and you let them off in the morning, and you've got one that tries to bomb every dog as it's coming out. Like that kind of behaviour. Um, it doesn't mean it's queer, but it just has that hype um i don't like that they're, they're, like i don't so i don't keep those kind of dogs to breed from in the first place so i'm only breeding from dogs yeah they've got faults um but they're just they've got a particular personality and temperament that i like which is ones that just sort of follow you around look up look up in your eyes and just adore you those those type of dogs yeah what a love working other dogs yeah no they're gone <laughs> nope <laughs> <laughs> any of that bad behavior because I, I can't have any bad behavior because I 
take all my I'm I'm alone single and I, I take all my dogs with me when I go to a dog trial so you know what it's like at a dog trial every trial differs but you know some you've got no room and you're packed in like sardines nowhere to run dogs and you've got 12 and they're all you know either hunterways or working dogs slash trial dogs so they're quite like pressure cooker um you know energy in them so you can't have anything that's crazy that's going to stir that up because you might be letting them out in a bloody oh, tiny little courtyard area to go to the toilet and you just can't it's so hard traveling if you've got to travel six seven hours and let dogs off in in um difficult areas and you can't have any crazy ones it's just too hard you mentioned using a couple of... sorry laura i said i can only imagine i really yeah 12 dogs everywhere you go it's yeah big work yeah yeah <laughs> at least if it's really cold you just crawl into a dog box yeah yeah no <laughs> but no it's, it's, it is it can be challenging um like any dog that's too hard to deal with I, I sort of get rid of it but um um which is a good way to be I feel like people need to be a bit more severe on their choice of temperament in their camp because yeah. there's often too many crazy dogs and then those dogs get bred from and it never ends you know you're gonna have crazy dogs everywhere so I think temperament is a really good one to look at because there is a thing like that like if the dog works really really well people are going to breed from it regardless and i think i think temperament should come in like even if it works really well but it's crazy and you can't catch it and you know it it runs off all the time it's just not nah, don't i don't care how it works like it's got to go yeah absolutely and a lot of people get hung up on on, on dogs what about what did you need to show you um to be able to breed from yeah, they've got to be very natural, um, very natural, but um, yeah, they've got to have a lot of strength. Like I said, they've got to be strong enough because my pet hate is being stuck up by sheep. I just can't abide it. When 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 dogs get chased by sheep, I can't do it. Like there's nothing worse than trying to get a dog to move sheep, like call it in, call it in, try and get it to move. I just hate it. You want dogs, like you can tell as pups too, like when, you, when, you, when you're training them, like if, they, if their natural ability isn't, to bring sheep to you, then that's no good. Like, because I'm trying to describe what the opposite would be. So if you send a dog around stock and they just stop, it doesn't necessarily mean they're sticky, but they just don't want to prick that bubble to move that move those sheep. Like it's not got the natural herding instinct in it. And, it, and all you're going to spend your time doing is trying to get that dog comfortable being inside the bubble. And it might have a really wide bubble as well, which is no good. So it's, yeah. Um, Oh, so the bitch has got to be able to prick its bubble. It's got to be trainable. It's got to listen to you. And it's just got to be nice in the camp. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. <laughs> um, are you line breeding or are you doing like to like? Or what do you sort of consider for that before that joining in terms of that? Well, that I haven't probably been... Now. <laughs> I haven't um <laughs> I haven't been breeding long enough to be, to be honest to to see the results of consistent line breeding or um outcross breeding like you know because it's sort of generations worth um I don't put anything together that's related to closely um the uh, like I might do it um if there aren't any faults but if if there's a few faults in there you're just going to double up on those faults and that's not ideal. Um, so I've only really done outcrosses 
but working styles have been similar so it's not you know you're not you not haven't got a lucky dip in the pups yeah and, and um, you, what about, how do you go about oops, Laura. i was just going to say what's your opinion of influencer sire has over the litter compared to the bitch i just think there's no set rule for that um it just varies like there's some dogs out there who've been great male dogs but they never put anything into their pups genetically so a lot of people would go to that dog because they just want the repeat of the bitch in the pups so yeah. you know it i don't i don't know it depends on the dog like there's some good size out there that always put themselves into the pups so you don't really know until you've bred them a few times yeah that's yeah, it that's right. how do you go about I actually never thought about the, of picking going to that site if they really like a bitch, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah. no, either at all. I really like that idea. It does make sense. Yeah, it's good if you want to clone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm not saying it works every time, but it's. No, no, but yeah. And how do you go about picking a pup for yourself besides having to look good? Yeah, they've got to be pretty. Um, they've got to be pretty. Like, I, I personally like choosing. Um, pups that are a little bit soft not like you know scream and run away but i don't really choose a lot of people always say choose the boldest and bravest pup um but i don't do that i don't like the possibility of how hard they're going to be if they're big and bold and sort of ignore you and jump all over jump all over you and don't respect you and blah, blah. so i choose ones that, that are a bit soft um i don't like really big boned dogs um like heavy because it means like heavy running i don't need that um so yeah i wouldn't say i choose chose the runt or anything but i do choose a softer definitely a softer type and ones without yellow eyes i don't go for that at all yeah, you can I just see. tell that eight weeks i know, I know i'm sorry um, <laughs> i know it sounds really voodoo and superstitious but um I this is what I believe at the moment, um, and it's and I've experienced it as well, and a lot of people have too. But any dog with yellow eyes are stock shifters. Sheep don't like them, and they move stock, or or not necessarily through confidence, but through like they're even going to bite them. You know, they're more of a wolf. If that makes yeah. sense. And because I do the three sheep trialing, I don't really want those types. Um, you might be like, oh, but you want to shift stock in your day to day, but. I want to go take them on the trail. I feel like sheep aren't comfortable in the presence of dogs with yellow eyes. And I don't know if that's actually a thing, but it just seems to seems to be that dogs with dark brown eyes, sheep prefer, and that's what you want <laughs> when you're trialling. You don't want sheep to get upset. Kind of right, right? Yeah. Big yeah. brown Kind eyes, yeah. <laughs> what about advice for someone um, about to pick their pup? Or their first pup or dog? Oh, just choose the one you like. Like, yeah, just the one you like. Don't yeah. go off anyone else's recommendations. Just if you sit there and there's seven pups crawling over you, just choose the one that you just instantly like, really. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you have any, like, milestone expectations for your pups? Like, by certain ages, you like to see different things in them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I try to keep my numbers down, even though it doesn't look like it. But um, so I can't keep too much rubbish. Um, so yeah, I 
if they're not really doing anything by eight months, they've kind of got to go. Unless you really like that dog for some reason, there's something you like in that dog, whether he's a really nice dog or whatever. I probably wouldn't do it so much anymore. But for instance, that dog Hurricane that I have, um, he's was just completely hopeless. Like no feel, just flip flop round his sheep, like nothing in him whatsoever. Um, and I thought, oh, well, I'll just throw you on stock. And at 10 months, I threw him on stock and it just made him into a dog, weirdly. Like it just like the penny dropped at 12 months and he just became the most biddable dog in my team. And it was really weird. So you can't like completely condemn them, but you've got to have the space for it to give them the time that they need. But I do think people get rid of dogs too early, but it's just, it's got to depend on your, on your situation. Like if you can keep them for long enough and the only time you keep them long enough is that if they're sound and nice, you don't just hold on to them um, just oh, 10 months, they're gone or whatever. Like you've got to hold on to them because you like them um, and that they show you something at least. Like, I mean, there are duds that don't even work stock and you probably wouldn't hold on to them. Um, like I know the English don't even start collies sometimes until 12 months old. And it's like, well, how do you keep a dog for 12 months if you don't even know if it's going to work or not? And I don't know, but they do. Um, it's strange. Otherwise, you'd end up with 12 porks, wouldn't you? I know. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how much time would you put into actual training or would most of your stuff be done on a job? Yeah, hundred ways definitely. Um, but the collies to be competitive, you've really got to train every day. To be honest, I know it's a bit of a sledgehammer. No one wants to hear, but you do, you do. I, I hundred percent believe that you, you've got to train every day. Um, and if you don't have the capability to do that, um, you're not going to reach the top if you even yeah. have the opportunity to. So yeah, I think they've got to be trained every day. You might miss one, like one day in. A week or whatever but like on average every day yeah because for that reason like why i'm saying that is that every time you take that dog to work sheep your three sheep or whatever it can't be high like it can't it's got to be in trial mode if that makes sense so like it's gotta it's gotta be receptive and work correctly every time you work it as an adult dog so if you rest it for three days and then take it to sheep, it's not going to work properly. So that's why, you know, you've got to work it every day so that when you go on that trial ground, it, it, it's in that mode. You're not training it on the trial ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been trialling for now? Oh, it's a bit on and off, to be honest. Um, it's not long when you put all the years together. Um, it's probably like four or five altogether, but it's just been so sporadic, like – because I was out um, in Western Queensland, I only went to like three or four trials a year. So with like one dog. So <laughs> I don't know if you count that as a year of trialing, you know, um, but seriously getting into trialing is, is like really trying to take it hammer and tongs is really just been this year, to be honest, like really focused and starting to train dogs more. It's been this year because I never really trained dogs. I hate training. Everyone hates training, you know, until you. Why? Can I... Why? <laughs> why? Why do you hate it? Because if you don't have a good setup and it's easy, it's, it's, it's a bit of a pain, isn't it? Because if you, if you're in a scenario that you have to get the trainers in, you got to draft them up and then you're sort of already a bit buggered 
you know, because you, you, you've got to be mentally kind of fresh or you've got to want it, have so much drive to train properly. Um, by the time you get the trainers, like you do it on a Sunday, for example, a lot of people are like Sunday trainers. So they go get the, this trainer sheep in and then they train on a Sunday. And then they just feel like, oh, that's enough. You know, that'll do. Um, and because you only train every Sunday, you, your dog's not consistent enough. So it's not enjoyable, you know. Like it's very enjoyable training pups because you see you see a, um, what's the word, a, a development. Like you see results yeah. on pups, you know. But training adult um, trial dogs or open dogs, it can be just repetitive, you know. It can be repetitive and just boring. Like, you know, when you're buggered after a long day's work, you don't really want to go train. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. well, and we've, start, we've touched on trialling here. What, what kind of trialling, we've mentioned this sheet, what kind of other trialling yes. have you done for our listeners? No, that's it, that's it. I've, I've tried um, yard dog trialling. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. I've, I've tried yard dog trialling. Um, I've only done one, I think, on a training day. What have I done two? No, I don't know. Something like that. Probably only one. But I don't really have the type for it. You need Kelpies, in my view. Um, yeah, so it's just three sheeping, three sheep trialing. I wouldn't mind giving you a go at utility, though. That would be quite fun. But I just, I'm honest with myself that I'm not ever going to be, like, a very good, I'm just not a good yard dog trialer. i just not, just not my thing. So, yeah, it's um, only three sheeping. Well, I had to leave um, a particular trial early once, but I believe you've done pretty good. In the cattle section of that trial. Hi, yeah. I only just missed it, I heard. Oh, were you not there? Oh, I was like, I had a four and a half hour drive home and it was pretty late, so I just said, let's yeah. go. Yeah, it was a late run. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, uh, it was a charity trial, wasn't it? So it was sort of just yeah. like take part. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know about cattle trialing. Uh, yeah, I just don't like the idea that you might hurt your dog, you know. Yeah. It only takes one kick to sort of kill them by accident, yeah. you know, just a bad luck kick. Yeah, don't really want to risk it, to be honest. There's a question here from uh, James Gibson, and he's asked, have you tried any cattle dog bloodlines in your collies? Yeah, actually. Um, the first one I got um, out at Long Reach, the first ever one I got, I'm pretty sure she had she was half traditional cattle dog breeding. Yeah, and she is like the master sire of all the ones I have now, apart from a few. Um, so yeah, it's sort of in there way back. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And um you got any major trialing achievements or something you're just really proud of? Um Funnily enough, it's not really what you expect, but um, I think what I'm really proud of, which is a bit of a weird thing to say, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah but what I'm really proud of is um, um, is being able to trial that big Kiwi dog because, yeah. I mean, if you saw him oh, as a pup, like, well, even like up till 15 months old, like he was just no feel, no style, no responsiveness, like would not listen to anything he was a horrible dog in the camp. Admittedly, he didn't have the best upbringing because I was so busy at the time. But, like, ooh, like he's just been – and I persisted and persisted because I was told I would never handle a Kiwi dog. I was told that, you know. Oh, they're too tough for you. You never get this dog. And I thought, well, 
we shall see and like I'm not normally like that <laughs> but like yeah and he's just weirdly he's just like completely changed as he's he's um what is he he's not yet three soon to be three um and yeah he's just he just loves me to death and is super responsive yeah he's not like a wonder dog or anything like when he gets too hot or he can go a bit arrogant you know and just do things what he wants to do but um yeah like the it's a big milestone like being able to trial a big heavy dog with that with a big lot of presence you know being able to trial that kind of dog I haven't had much success with him but I've been very close <laughs> to having successes <laughs> but um but yeah so that was that's probably my greatest achievement I would say, uh, which is a bit of a weird one because it's not like numbers on the board or anything, but just personally, that's um, no, yeah. So that's that's cool because I find sometimes numbers on the board isn't necessarily a great achievement. Like obviously it is if it's consistent, but I mean if you have a random success, there might have been other factors at play there. Like you may have been really lucky and got really good sheep or whatever. You know, it's not necessarily you did really well yeah you kept you cool but it's not necessarily the reason whereas if you had a really rubbish run but you really worked those sheep to the best of your ability I find that a greater achievement than yeah. getting a lucky run and going around and yeah depending on sweet sheep yeah and have you had a favorite trial on your way around so far to participate in? I would say the nationals is my favorite trial so far like what those girls do now, like the way they run it, it is such a good trial. I love it. Like, I can't wait to go again. It was brilliant. It was just such a nice week. The weather was good, which always helps. And it's just, you know, ice cream and stalls and plenty to watch <laughs> and see and good camping. Um, no stress. Like there was no dramas. Everything was done well. The letting out, the running of it was so professional. And just I'd love the sport to be more like that, just more professional trialing like obviously everyone does a really good job and that sounds bad but like I mean it just felt like a really high-end sport at the nationals yeah. um yeah. it was great it was really really well done and you did quite well there so congratulations yeah um... but <laughs> I don't know like what I was talking about I think that was sort of a bit of luck involved but yeah <laughs> so why do you trial what is it about it that you enjoy I don't know like to be honest sometimes I go trialing and I think why the hell do I do this um <laughs> you just you do come away sometimes with that um then you just you literally think why do I do this like I haven't really enjoyed myself the dogs weren't very good I don't have the ability to train them properly at the moment blah 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 why do I travel all this way and do this but um <laughs> I think you're it's like a drug and you're searching for that moment when your dog that you've trained or bred or whatever does really well and it listens and you get round, you might not win it or anything, obviously, but like you get round and the dog worked really well. Like that's what I get out of trialing. It's not about, to me, it's not about winning or having the accolades of winning or anything like that. What I get out of it, I don't think about anyone else. And I just think about me and that dog and those sheep and what I've done at home, trying to get that dog to do on the ground. That's what I think about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've got one you probably haven't heard before, but how do you feel when the dogs put everything in for you and you put a dog at a trial? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it really annoys you. Take it you. Uh, <laughs> hey? Do you take it personal, like kind of feel sorry for your dog? Or? Yeah, well, yeah. 
you do, even though they have no concept of getting a ribbon or anything like that. But um, yeah, you do, you do. For it happens with Coast a hell of a lot. Like there's, I'm not, I'm not being a blaggart here, but like we've missed out on finals. We missed out on so many finals by me making a stupid mistake. Um, and it, it does, it drives you insane. Like particularly towards the end. Um, so like he might be running a 93 or something and you get to the pen and you blow like 12 points and you don't make the final even more. You might blow 20. Um, like, or even he's been on, been in finals and those sheep come out and you get, you start going around and you get that feeling. As soon as you go through the race, you think I've, I've got this, you know, these, I can't like these sheep, if I keep this the same, I'm going to be great. Um, and then you make a big error somewhere and that's when you are like, and then you've got to drive six hours home and you just think, think of where <laughs> your mistakes are when you're like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it happens often. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it sure does. In your yeah. travels, um, is there something that you see a lot of handlers and newbies struggle with and where do you think they can improve? Oh, it's so hard. I love helping people too. Like I love, like, please people come to me if you have problems because I love helping. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's probably wrong. I love helping people who actually think about what you've said <laughs> rather than like, because I feel like a lot of people might ask you questions and they just want the easy reply. Like, oh, just do this and you'll win. You know, they want that. They don't want to be told all you've got to do is make your dog responsive. That's number one. Get it stopping. Get it going left and right. And people hate that. That's not sexy. It's boring. You know, it's just boring stuff. Drilling, drilling. And no one wants to do that. They just want a secret that you can tell them that'll make them win trials or, or be good on the farm or whatever. Um, and it's not. It's a. It's boring. It's the boring stuff. Um, so what people struggle with, I think, is understanding that sometimes. Because once you get the basics and you have the ability to control the dog, which then controls the sheep, like then you can then you can learn the more in depth stuff. But if you haven't even got that, then what's the point? Yeah. So you have any of that magic fairy dust that you just start from the No, I know. Well, I would I would like to know where it, where who has it. Give some to me. Yeah. Crocodile Dundee has it. Any of these ones? See. Oh. Speaking of um, nerves, do you still get nervous? I do, but it's never like um, like reliable nerves. Like I just get random nerves sometimes. Um, I think I get the most nervous when you know you haven't done the training. And I think that's it's more like angry nerves. Like you know you haven't done the training and you know your dogs could work these sheep that are coming out if they were trained and responsive and not been smashing sheep round or whatever the last week. So... I get nervous when I go out because I feel embarrassed sometimes because I know you sort of know how good your dogs can be, but you haven't trained them. And what's really hard is that when you go out on the trial ground, people think, and your dog stuffs up, people think you have a shit dog. They just go, oh yeah, that dog of pips. Yeah, it's just shit. I wouldn't waste time with it. They don't see that it's just untrained. They just see it's shit. And that upsets you because you... But no one wants to hear it. No one cares. No one really cares. You're not going to tell anyone, oh, I haven't trained my dogs because everyone says that. Oh, I've worked so hard this week. I haven't been able to train the dogs. Or I haven't, like this whole month, I've been so busy. I haven't trained them. No one cares. All they see is a shit dog. They don't see an untrained one. And that upsets me sometimes um, because you just think you've let your dogs down. You shouldn't really even be at this trial. You're not ready. 
And that's happened to a few trials this year, particularly Henty was one of them, um, you know, big trial. Um, lasts quite a few days and I went there and I hadn't trained my dogs because what were we doing? Oh, we were lambing or whatever we were doing. Um, I haven't trained them. All they know, know is catching lambs. I've just been catching lambs with them uh, or sheep, catching sheep with them. And you go there and you just, you just feel like you shouldn't be there, you know, um, yeah. just waste time. So yeah, that's really hard to take sometimes. Definitely. Um, there's a question here from Ollie Hansen. He's asked, what's the one thing you've learned about dogs that you wish you knew earlier? Uh, hmm. That's a very good question, Ollie. Um, I would say <laughs> it's very good. It's quite a polite question too. Has he asked any others that you noticed? Yeah, very, very well done. Um, I, yeah, what have I learned? I, I think patience is such a big one. I mean, that's a really boring <laughs> answer, but it is, it's, it's patience. And like when things aren't going wrong and you do the goo, I think mean, the, the biggest thing I've probably learned is say an exercise you're doing with a dog isn't going very well and it's all up to shit and you just get angry and you walk away. Like, I keep on training, obviously not for hours, but like an extra few minutes until that dog does something right. And then you always leave yeah. when that dog does something right. Don't leave up to shit. Like, particularly with puppies as well. So like your puppies, you know, you're going really well, but then it might cross or cut one out and you, and then you, you chase it down to grab it and get it out of that scenario. But you need to put it back together before you take them off. I mean, that's, that's quite a good one um, that I've learned. Beautiful, and, and that's that's fantastic that, that you've done that. I always, how often do you see people always like in that situation? They panic and then they take that young dog away, right? Yeah. And how feeling the dog had when it's been in front of stock? Yeah, exactly. So that, that's some yeah. really good advice there. Yeah. Speaking of, what advice would you give to someone that wanted to pursue a career in the livestock industry? Oh, I think it's really difficult because we're sort of, if we're talking young people, for example, that they want to get into ag, you know, they, they've left school and they want to get into ag. It's very hard because we're in a culture now of instant gratification. So they want things to happen now and get paid really well now. <laughs> so yeah so and in the ag world you've got to do a lot of years of shit jobs before you get the good ones and i think that'll put off people but it's not really shit just not like it sounds like a bloody prison sentence but like you're not you're not doing shit like but you, you can't expect to be given the good jobs um like i was barely on stock when i first the first few years of of um working on farms which is understandable because it's the owner's own sheep and that's what they enjoy that's what they want to go do so you know like that's that's fine but you you have to accept that you're not going to get paid very much money and you might be fixing pipelines or you might be fixing fences or whatever but that's it's shaping you and if you persist then you'll come out the other side and but that's it's very hard for young people to take that because they all want to start on 40 bucks an hour straight away or whatever um and be cowboys yahooing after stock like that's what they want to do so it's very hard and also there's a lot of bad employers out there like 
who don't respect employees and just want to use you to make money, you know, like, like in any industry, but particularly in farming, I find it, I think it's hard um, because a lot of these people are, say they've aged and they have to suddenly employ people and they don't know how to go about that. Um, and they, you know, they're just, just, and all they're used to is yelling at their son to do something. And then they get an, like a, an employee in and it's just, it's very hard. Like I understand it's a hard transition to do, but you are going to come across bad employers. And even if you might not learn anything, you might learn what not to do. So you're still going to come away with something out of that. Definitely. You just have to tough it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Positive out of a negative, right? Yes. Silver lining and all. Yep. And um, is there anyone awesome. you'd like to see us sit down with and have a chat with on Dog Talk? Yeah, I thought about this question. Um, no one specifically springs to mind, but I think it would be really good if you got some New Zealand hand handlers in, perhaps, um, because it's a culture over there, being a shepherd, and I think it would be really interesting to see their point of view on it and how they, how they bring up their dogs. I follow a lot of Kiwi shepherds on Instagram, and watch their videos and that and there's some amazing ones on there like young ones old ones whatever um boys and girls and what they can do with their dogs you know and just i think it's be really interesting to see how they live and work with their dogs if you ever get the chance to interview them yeah. over there. love it thank you that's cool um <laughs> it's uh that time of night was there a question that stood out for you tonight and they will Win a bag of enduro high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Oh, it's a hard one. It's like picking favourites because I know all the people who ask the questions. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then you're you going to get why did you pick me? I know, I know. Um, oh, I really like the question from Rachel Holmes about working hunterways on cows and calves. Beautiful. Yep. Choose that. Rachel, um, get in contact with us, drop your details uh, through to us, and we'll get that bag of enduro off to you. And um, you, Pip, for being a, a guest, uh, you'll also get a bag. So thanks for jumping on. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank last... you so much for inviting me. That's all right. One last question. Uh, would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Yeah, I thought what? about this question as well. And I chose a horse-sized duck, just the one, because I'm not very athletic and I don't think I could run away from 20 duck-sized horses. I could hide from a duck, one big duck. So, yeah, yeah that's what I chose. I, I thought about my abilities and I'm best at hiding rather than running. <laughs> so no, she loves the soft dog with presence, but she's prepared to run from a duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's quite a big duck, isn't it? Just pick your <laughs> A lot to eat. It would feed you for Or feed your dogs. Yeah, true. <laughs> and that's always on my mind all, all the time. Like, yeah. oh, there's a there's an eel sheep. Cut it up for the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Pip, thank you very much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. That's great. And all our viewers and everyone that's uh, going to listen after, uh, thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate you um, logging in. And please remember, mm. we learn every day. And the day we stop learning will be a sound for all of us. Thank you. That's right. Bye. Good night. Cheers.